Okay, so I just finished watching Avatar Legend of Korra Season 1, you know, very whiffer times I am, um, and I have some thoughts, but first I should probably give some background information. I never watched Avatar, um, the fucking Last Airbender, <laughs> which is its real name, sure. I never saw Avatar The Last Airbender around the time of its original release, but I did see it about a year ago. It was put on Netflix, and I watched all three seasons um, in uh, a course of a few weeks, I would say, and I found it to be... I was super surprised by it. I'm not going to do whole thoughts on that, but um, I was super surprised by just how emotional it was for like a Nickelodeon animated show uh, and like how well all the story stuff ties together. I often go on about how the messages told in the anime Naruto kind of shaped who I was as a person during my teenage years um, and I feel like Avatar The Last Endbender has extremely similar vibes to it and like a, a similar message to it and um, when I watched The Last Endbender last year I, I felt super emotionally attached to it and like I was so pleased with the entire story and how it ended and everything. And of course I documented this journey on Twitter and everyone was like, now you have to go watch Legend of Korra. It's about 90% as good, which is amazing for a sequel series set 100 years in the future. And I was like, okay, I will. At some point. I need a minute. But one of the themes of A Legend of Korra is change, like changing times and accepting the new way that things are, at least like from a viewer point of view. Um, and like the characters aren't necessarily going through that, but we as viewers are very much in the mindset of, oh, this is all different to what I know. And, you know, my cat died, like, two, three weeks ago, and I felt like this would um, kind of be, like, as I was adjusting to, like, a new normal in my life of there not being a furry creature around my room all the time anymore, and I was dealing with grief and stuff, I was like, maybe this would be the right time to watch something like this. Like, this show isn't necessarily about grief and everything, but it just felt like a, a right fit, you know, given that I cared about the previous series so much, like, to, to experience change through the eyes of a new generation um, in the same kind of universe felt like it would be good, and I think it has been. But don't worry, I am now going to get into talking about the actual season. So a quick catch-up for those of you who have already seen it and can't differentiate what the four seasons were because it was a while ago. Season 1 very much deals with establishing the characters, as it obviously would. Um, establishing Korra as she's trying to learn her airbending as she goes to Republic City to learn airbending from Master Tenzin. Um, and also the uprising of the Equalists and Aman who leads them and that entire conflict comes to a head at the end of Season 1 and it all wraps up in a very neat little bow. I have to wonder if they didn't think they were going to get a Season 2. So first off we're introduced to Korra and she is um, very different to Aang in a lot of ways. She's a little bit older, um, she's very like headstrong, she's very, well I mean Aang was headstrong but she's very, whereas Aang was like goofy and silly she's more like vengeful in a way, I guess that's not the right word, but like fire-headed, hot-tempered. They establish fairly quickly that even though she's from the Water Tribe, the fire, I mean all of the elements apart from air kind of came naturally to her, but she does seem to fight with fire quite a lot, and um, that's that's quite high contrast from the original series where Aang for a while swore off even trying to use fire because he didn't like how damaging it was. They make a decent point of going like, you know, Aang was always preaching about peace and love and stuff, Korra hasn't had the chance to like learn that if you know what I mean she's going through a very different learning process we're not just retreading old ground here 
and I think it's very good as well that they did that because we've seen Aang mastering all four elements like it took him ages to do it and there were whole story arcs around each one we didn't necessarily need to go through that again so they very quickly established that Korra was basically a natural with all of the ones except air which is of course the element which we never saw get learned because Aang just naturally knew it. Anyway the world that's established is very quickly set up as almost like the steampunk kind of world-ish like a little bit um, it's almost like Victorian slash industrial era um, in a lot of the design, maybe not necessarily the architecture, I don't know a lot about architecture, but like the technology of the time and all of this kind of stuff. The um, recaps are told in like a very, very, very old time TV kind of a thing, and it seems like the primary method of uh, enjoying entertainment and stuff is through radio and stuff, like big old chunky radio boxes. Um, in this series we see uh, airplanes kind of invented for the first time, um, a whole bunch of stuff, although there are also mechs which uh, is more on the steampunk side of things, but you know, there you go. <laughs> it is extremely cool how they've taken this existing world of benders and thought how would they fit into a society. For instance, you see firebenders uh, sometimes take day jobs where they just put all of their firebending skill to use in basically powering the city which is you know, a little dystopian. Weirdly though, that seems to clash with the classist narrative of Benders being like the upper class, um, because that isn't necessarily the case that's established, but that is kind of what the equalists argue for, and I think the equalists are really interesting and I hope they explore them more. Basically the first time that the equalists appeared, my head went, oh, I see, they're gonna have like a whole story about, you know, their, their motives don't justify uh, the means, or the means don't justify the motives, but like their whole issue is actually something uh, part of a wider concern that needs to be addressed because their issue is that benders in society have it better um, and that there has been violence uh, from benders to non-benders, that kind of thing. Um, and I think it's super weird that they actually didn't go in a direction of like vilifying them and then like halfway through the season there being a twist like oh hang on a minute let's actually hear their story and while we do hear the backstory of Aman in the end um we don't actually that's more of like a Aman specific thing that's not the equalists in general and I think there are meant to be direct ties to equalists and communism in the real world and all this kind of stuff uh, and communism definitely you know doesn't work but at the same time it comes from a certain place and I thought that this was going to be explored in this series and maybe it will be still in later seasons I don't even know what the later seasons are going to contain because it's wrapped up in such a neat bow but yeah was surprised that the show did not take that route Aman as a villain was interesting the second I saw the mask, and this might just be my fault because of the way my brain uh, interprets uh, stories and stuff, I was like, okay, so he's wearing the mask for a reason, he has something to hide, which means that we as the audience are going to recognise him when the mask comes off. Um, and since this is season one of a whole world that's just being established now, uh, we, because I think we do see him in episode one, um, cannot possibly know who that face would be, so that character has yet to be established. So the entire series, as new characters were being introduced, I was going, would it make sense for this person to be secretly Aman? And it turns out that um, his brother turned out to be his brother, but he's the guy who I thought was going to be Aman the entire time, and I don't know if we're supposed to be led to believe that, um, but I, I got a lot of joy out of uh, seeing him, you know, the twist, the lead up to the twist, where it's like, oh shit, he's actually a bad guy. Um, I kind of saw that coming from a mile off, but I was looking for it, but I thought it was done in a really fun way. I should mention Korra's gang as well, um, I like them, 
Um, I didn't necessarily intend for there to be a question mark there. Um, oh my god, I'm going to have to look at the names. I'm awful, by the way. I will watch an entire show, and then maybe on like the final episode I will have learned everyone's names. I thought Mako and Berlin were nice enough. Um, I feel like I have this thing though. I feel like there was too much romance in this season. The romance in The Last Airbender took place slowly over the course of three seasons, whereas this it almost feels like we get too far with it in too short a time. Um, I do like Marco though, he a dreamy boy, <laughs> and Berlin is very much a goofball, um, and I don't know, they're entertaining enough. Asami was cool too, she shirked some ex expectations, but towards the latter half of the season, it did kind of feel like she was just there to complicate the love triangle. For me, the real standout support characters came in the form of the older characters, um, like the generation between Aang and Korra, so Tenzin and Beifong. Oh my god. I love those characters so much and I cannot explain why. Tenzin is just this guy who, I think the reason why he's so interesting is because we are seeing him as a middle-aged man, um, and the last time we saw this story was when his father, Aang, was a kid, um, but at the same time we don't shy away from that story at all, which is what we'll get into later, um, but I, I don't know, there's something about Tenzin I really like, like his general just patience and um, he's like the master airbender that Aang was taught by, you know, that kind of thing, and we never really got to see that in the original series, and he's also a family man, and I, j I just like him a lot, he has some great funny moments too. Lin Beifong is just an absolute badass head to toe, and I love her. Especially in one of those final episodes of season one, where she sacrifices herself to jump between blimp and blimp and rip them apart so that the others can escape, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, by the way, it's just now occurred to me that when we see, um, when what's-his-face, Aman, has the airbenders in the final episode captive, we never see or get explained why that happened. Uh, we hear Korra go, no, but they escaped. Uh, we never actually see that happen, that was just kind of a thread, maybe the one and only thread that never got wrapped up, but I don't think it's particularly important. Now the thing about the past story which I was saying is I love that we experience snippets of what uh, the lives of the characters of the original series were like through the visions of Korra and I hope and kind of expect that we'll get even more of that moving on. But it was super weird and cool to see like a middle-aged Aang and uh, Sokka. Who let Sokka be in law? I feel like that's a bad idea. <laughs> And we get to see Toph as well. And I think the, my favourite part about all of this, which is something that, by the way, the anime Naruto, or Boruto, does not do, is it doesn't show the older generation as being infallible. We mostly see them getting their asses handed to them. And that reminds me of another point I want to bring up real quick. I love how they built upon bloodbending, um, which was, I believe, introduced in the final season of the original series, and it was touched upon briefly. I think it had, like, one episode and then another moment where Katari used it. Um... There's something, there's some like primal horror when it comes to bloodbending, which they really knuckled down on in this season. And I hope they don't overuse it in later seasons, but I think the amount it was used in this season was fantastic. The sound effects of like the creaking of the blood and like the bones as like they're contorted and stuff will never not gross me out. The ultimate fate of Tarlok and Aman was shocking. I will probably upload this video clip as an unlisted thing and put it on Twitter, but it caught me so off guard because this entire season, the worst thing that could happen to a character was that they could have their bending taken away. And then... <laughs> and then these guys fucking explode in a murder-suicide. What the fuck, Nickelodeon? Did not see that coming. Still kind of recovering. 
And finally, the way it ended with um, Korra having lost every power except airbending, which is interesting. It kind of raises some questions about how powers are unlocked and how your link to them can even be uh, removed. I don't know if that's going to be a thing that's expounded upon in later series. Did I use that word correctly? Expounded? But the way, I, I don't know, it felt slightly rushed, but I think it was fine. Um, we deal with her having lost her or f- three quarters of her power uh, and then she, you know, gets in touch with the spirit world by hitting her, her lowest. Hang on, what does Aang say? He says something like when we hit our lowest lows when is when we are most open to change. And then she finally connects with, like, the spirit realm and, like, her pure avatar self. Uh, and then she gets all of her powers back. And then she even grants Bay Fong's powers back, which is lovely. Like I said, it all wraps up in a neat little bow. And you even have the love confession at the end. It really feels like this was meant to be a one-season thing. The only issue I really have with the series is they never stopped and had Korra take pity on the Equalists in any meaningful way. Uh, and maybe consider things from their point of view, because think about it, if we live in a world of benders and this stuff of, you know, some criminal benders cutting people down is true, you can imagine why people without bending powers would be upset. Um, I think that storyline actually has some kind of ties to our own world and billionaires versus, you know, people like you and me. And let's not forget that at one point Tarlock uses his bending powers to literally round up innocent people um, into groups wrap them up, pick them up in giant stones and try and take them away because he just decided that all non-benders were equalists, which is some straight up Nazi level shit. Do we still think the equalists don't have a point? Like obviously not all bending should be taken away but there's clearly something going wrong in this society. I just hope that gets addressed in future seasons. That's all I'm saying. But yes, I absolutely loved season one of The Legend of Korra and I can't wait to continue. In fact, I will probably continue while this is rendering uh, and while I am failing to sleep before work in the morning, so... Uh, expect another one of these for season 2, 3, and 4, hopefully, unless it's they all kind of blend together and there's no real cut-off points, then maybe I'll just do them all together. I'll just do whatever feels right. Either way, thank you for listening to my thoughts on a series which has kind of passed us all by. No spoilers, please, because to say I'll ban you and I'll be very sad. <laughs> I will see you in the next one.